The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. All right, let's be real about something. As we get older, get kids, pets, multiple jobs, it becomes harder and harder to find the right time to connect to your partner. But when you do get that sliver of a moment, you need to be ready. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know it works. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, best of all, no more awkwardness. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use our special promo code ARMCHAIR. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's BlueChew.com promo code ARMCHAIR to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Another episode of The Bird Calls. This is a special episode today. We haven't gone on a rant in quite a while, so surprise, surprise, today is the day. I'm your host, contributor to TheBirdRights.com, Preston Ellis. We've got back Ali Cosell and David Grubb. Ali, how are the renovations going? Noisy, as David will attest to. I was on his radio show about an hour ago, and I was escaping the song behind my back, so I had to walk outside to my dogs barking out of people walking by, you know, and then crows flying overhead 30 feet away, so... Just a lot of noise, and I can't escape it, so I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite all right. We've got David Grubb, who has just finished his radio broadcast in New Orleans on 1280 AM, Hard in the Paint. David, how'd it go? Another great show, man. We, we've been really rolling these last couple of weeks, and um, now that we are in basketball season, you know, I'm trying to dedicate as much of the second hour to just covering hoops. So we're getting to that point now that we're hard in the paint is going to earn the name that I have bestowed upon it. Very exciting stuff. Very cool. But anyway, let's get back to our rant. We're far too positive. Uh, we're going <laughs> to step onto our soapbox for a moment. Uh, I just want to communicate with you guys. We've, we've seen some takes both in the national media and more recently in the local media that there's there's this pressure on Zion Williamson, the number one overall pick. Of course, the icon, the face of the franchise. We've already seen the way that the city has united around him, the billboards, the commercials, promotional materials, uh, sponsorships, Gatorade, Nike, all of it. He's a transcendent talent more than that. Like, I said he's becoming an icon but I just want to be really clear with you guys about something all right there isn't I repeat any pressure on Zion he hasn't played one minute in the NBA if history is any indication he's under contract in New Orleans for at least five seasons and the only uh history that besets itself besides that is Chris Stapp's Porzingis who got back a king's ransom in the deal and what makes Rookie Zion Williamson different from Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Kevin Durant. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, it's it's Drew Holiday. It's Derek Favors. It's Brandon Ingram. It's Lonzo Ball. It's Nicolo Melli. It's David Griffin. It's Trajan Langdon. It's these, these players, this system, this culture beset aside him that is conducive for a slow, a patient process. 
So what makes him different than those situations is that, and and for some of you who hasn't had a cup of coffee yet, like I have, and are still insanely rational human beings, you you might be asking, hey, are we taking all this, this controversy personally? It's damn right we are. We've just endured a whole season of this, and we write for SB Nation. Put simply, we are supposed to be the voice of the fans. It's our job to feel disrespected. More than that, it's it's quite literally, it's our purpose to feel disrespected. And let's let's be super clear about one other thing. This, this is about protecting the Shield, protecting the New Orleans Pelicans, but we are the first ones, I repeat, the first ones, as David Grubb can attest, to be critical of our team, whether it be Anthony Davis, the signings of Solomon Hill, Omar Ashik, Dell Demps, lineups, rotations, Darius Miller. It goes on and on and on. Promotional materials, what's being done in the Smoothie King Center in terms of uh, fan enjoyment there. We are the first ones to voice our opinions. But when you think about this offseason, when you think about this newly touted organization, what has Gail Benson done so far that's worthy of criticism? Any criticism from her hirings of David Griffin, Aaron Nelson, Trajan Langdon, Swin Cash, Gravis Vasquez, Teresa Witherspoon, investing $6 million into a facility that's only six or seven years old, building a hospital. You rarely hear her name mentioned anywhere. Instead, you hear about other owners uh, across the league who are doing the wrong thing. You don't hear about owners who are doing the right thing. So put simply, put some damn respect on her name because she has hit this one out of the park. She has hit a home run. She has put this organization in just her second year of being an owner in, in possibly a better situation than any other team across the league. You want to talk about pressure? We can talk about pressure. Uh, obviously, there's a team that's on the lips of every Pelicans fans. We don't need to talk about them. We've moved on. We can talk about the Lakers all season long if we want to. But we can talk about other teams. We can talk about the Los Angeles Clippers. You think they're excited? You think they're going to contend for the title? Guess what happens if they don't? They have two years on Paul George, two years on Kawhi Leonard. At the end of this season, if they don't win a championship, guess what they're on? Trade watch. You want to talk about the Houston Rockets, who just invested everything in Russell Westbrook with no indication that those two can work together? I mean, you want to talk about the Toronto Raptors. Uh, they have a decision to make on all these guys who are in the final years of their contract. The Boston and Celtics, this king's ransom of picks that at some point next season might mean nothing if they only have Jason Tatum left on the roster and Kemba Walker and they lose Jalen Brown in free agency, something that very possibly could happen. The Orlando Magic, we can go down the line. They are investing so much in Markel Fultz. They're prompting him in front of the media, and we don't have any indication. We are hopeful that he'll become the player that we always wanted him to be, but we don't know. And lastly, the Los Angeles Lakers. These guys have already told us that they are going to go into free agency next year. And these guys, I'm talking about Anthony Davis. If he is not happy, if they do not win games, the Los Angeles Lakers are screwed. They are screwed for the next five years. But still, we are relentlessly attached with pressure in New Orleans. We are associated with it. We are given the name. We're the small market. We're the little guys. We've got our brothers up in Milwaukee that are doing the exact same thing with Giannis Antetokounmpo. And of course, we sympathize with them. So, Obviously, we're, we're taking issue to this. Maybe we're taking it a bit more than we need to. But, but there is some pressure on New Orleans that we can talk about. And let's talk about it. Let's talk about realistic pressure. There's pressure that we might lose Drew Holiday. We've got two years left on him. We've already given indication that the Los Angeles Clippers were interested in him. 
we know that teams across the league uh, respect him a lot higher than than it seems like they do because we've tried to tout him as a top 20 overall prospect. But sometimes you turn on these television shows and he's still labeled as an elite defender. We know that he's much better than that. And we know that some of the best scouts around the country know that he's better than that. Organizations know he's better than that. Players like Kawhi Leonard know that he's better than that. But then you talk about guys like Brandon Ingram. What are we going to do with this guy? Because next summer, if he is the player that we want him to grow into, then he's going to cost $130 million. And this is your team. This becomes your team for the next five years. There's very little wiggle room uh, to work with in terms of salary, uh, cap flexibility going forward. You've got decisions to make on Lonzo Ball. You've got decisions to make on Josh Hart. These guys do have a little bit more time. They've got two more seasons, but you've got to make all this stuff gel together. But but one person that there isn't any pressure on is Zion because he is going to potentially be the Pelicans' fourth, maybe fifth scorer. Let's talk about the leaders in scoring. Right now, we're all thinking that Drew Holiday and Brandon Ingram are going to have those associations with them. Derek Favors is probably going to play 28 minutes a game. And as I wrote yesterday, 70% of his shots come at the rim, and he converts 72% of them. So even if you don't pass him the ball, he is still going to get you 10 points a game. Obviously, the Pelicans... Pelicans are going to score a lot, but you're going to have a lot of guys taking shots. We don't know where Zion's going to fit in that pecking order. We do know that Anthony Davis, as a rookie, scored less than 14 points a game. That feels about right for probably what we're expecting of Zion Williamson. But but just to close this before I turn this over to Ali, if we really want to talk about pressure, the pressure is not on Zion. It's not on the on on the New Orleans Pelicans. It's on the rest of the NBA. Because right now, all these teams that I mentioned, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Celtics, the Raptors, the Rockets, all of these teams have pushed all their chips to the front of the table. They are all in on the 2019-20 season. And if it doesn't work out for them, they're in trouble. And one team that does have the the resources, the depth, the high-end talent or potential talent, we should say, are the New Orleans Pelicans. They are in a position probably not to compete, but they can make a difference in this in this race. They can make things difficult for teams. Who knows? They have enough talent to win a playoff series. You know, we're, we're not going to say anything crazy like they're going to advance to the Western Conference Finals. But if all these pieces do work together, if Brandon Ingram's talent is realized, if Lonzo Ball becomes... 70% of the player that we thought would make him the number two overall pick. If we get another season from Drew Holiday, if Derek Favors is the player that he is on paper, if that translates to the floor, then then we are going to see something really special in New Orleans. So we don't need to be concerned with any pressure on our organization. Everybody else across the NBA has a lot of pressure that's on them right now. And Ali, just to close this, I think the Pelicans are in probably if not the best situation in the NBA they're in a top five position in the NBA so when we talk about pressure I don't think we need to worry about any of it at all go ahead Ali you're unmuted yeah can you hear me yeah your microphone is just kind of rustling okay there we go yeah Preston I mean you can like I said go ahead and keep on talking because you pretty much hit a lot of the good points there because that's how I feel Look, the only pressure that I can foresee is the the usual stuff, and that's associated with being a number one pick, and of course being a number one pick that has you know built up a heck of a lot of fanfare because of what he did at Duke, because of all the hype leaving high school, because of all the followers that he already has at a tender young age. Other than that, you're right. From an organizational standpoint, it's simply not there. We saw Dell Demps last almost ten years here in New Orleans, and he had pressure just about seemingly every year to produce a winner because he didn't. I mean, outside of a couple playoff trips, you know, we saw what transpired. So if you want to talk about pressure, that was pressure. This isn't David Griffin, one of the best, most widely respected GMs 
minds, let's just say basketball minds in the NBA, just got hired. You know he's going to be given a long leash. You've already seen what he's done to bring in the pieces around here. Pelicans are not expected to win up front. Everybody is fine with that. So this whole talk, I agree with you. It's kind of ridiculous. All right, David, I don't know who's typing into a keyboard over there. Is that you, That Ollie? was me. I'm sorry. That oh, was okay. Me. No worries. I was um, on mute, so I was doing something. My bad. Oh, sorry. That's my bad. Go ahead, David. Get on in here. Yeah. Um, I find this this whole conversation, not, not what we're having, but the national conversation, and now as it seeps in locally, to be a bit overreactionary and um, misinformed. You know, the things that we talk about, the, the, the criticisms that New Orleans has gotten just seem to be, you know, from a distance, it's, it, they're focused on New Orleans for some reason that they don't focus on other cities. You know, New Orleans is not the first t- city to lose a star. This, this happens. Look, Kevin Durant left Oklahoma City after they made the Western Conference Finals. Okay, I mean, like, so people have to, you know, for, Ant- for Anthony Davis or for Chris Paul, which were two different situations, this is not unusual. This is what happens in, in this league. Uh, the Pelicans were not a great franchise, and they woke up. You know, the, the whole ordeal woke up Mrs. Benson. It woke up the organization. They had to improve. And I think the excitement started, as, as we talked about, the moment David Griffin was hired, things felt different because you felt as if you had a leader. You felt as if you had legitimacy um, and credibility. And that was something that was never extended to Del Demps, both by performance and just by uh, reputation and his his own, just the way he presented himself. It was hard to ever give him the benefit of the doubt. And then the results just played that out. But this whole constant harping on Zion Williamson having to, to perform at a certain level, that makes no sense. Uh, you come in, he's not being tasked as a lot of number one picks are. He's not going to come in and have to be an Allen Iverson type. He's not coming in and having to be um, a number one pick who carries a franchise that is, has bottomed out. Because, like you said, all the things that the Pelicans did, they did to assemble a team, not a player surrounded by a cast. This team should be able to function uh, with if Zion weren't here, you would say this is a pretty functional uh, lineup of players. You would have a, you'd pro- a hole at the four that would have been filled in one way or another, but you'd still think of this as a competitive team at the very least. Having Zion just augments what people already had. It was a gift on top. It was the cherry on top of what had happened in an offseason that yielded a good return in the, uh, in the Anthony Davis trade, that brought in new leadership, that s- seemed to finally put this organization on a path towards sustainable success, as David Griffin alludes to constantly. So, yeah, Zion is not the focal point this season. He will grow into that role and someday should be the focal point. But there, if David Griffin has his way, there will always be other capable performers around him. and. That age, I think, has ended in the NBA. The other parts of criticism that I really object to are the ones on fan support. Yeah, when the team was bad last year, it, it the fan support went down. But the Pelicans still finished 20th in the league in attendance, better than four teams that actually made the playoffs in cities that are much larger or would be considered basketball rabid. Cities like Indiana, Indianapolis, where the, they out outperformed the Pacers at the gate. They outperformed the Brooklyn Nets at the gate. They outperformed, um, what, who else? 
am I thinking about? Uh, just the, it was four teams. So I mean, the Pelicans even, and I go back to the year when people talk about New Orleans court. The year that uh, that uh, Dan Dickow led the team to score with thirteen points a game, the Pelicans were a top fifteen team in attendance. So don't tell me New Orleans doesn't support its team that they were on the verge of moving when no one talks about that for cities that have been bad at basketball for as long, if not longer. Nobody's talking about the Minnesota Timberwolves relocating. No one is talking about the Phoenix Suns relocating. No one is talking about the New York Knicks who have been a bad team for two decades relocate. But it's focused constantly on New Orleans, and I don't understand it when the numbers don't back it up, when uh, the – you know, the percentage of uh, uh, with the, just the enthusiasm in general, it doesn't back it up. I think that people have chosen for some reason that New Orleans is the most unfit NBA market, and they will not let that go. Now, you're talking about attendance. When, it, when we talk about television ratings, uh, just last year, New Orleans was third in the NBA in television ratings for nationally televised games. That was following the 2018 season. Uh, just offhand, I remember the Las Vegas Summer League, uh, New Orleans was ranked number one. Obviously, that's an association with Zion, but everybody wants to see Zion. And there's a lot more athletes on display than just the ones suiting up for the New Orleans Pelicans. So in terms of watching on television, New Orleans is up there with the best of them. So definitely just wanted to echo and expand on that. Uh, obviously, we've done a lot about this. We, we don't need to talk about pressure anymore. Uh, the only real pressure I think that's on the Pelicans right now, as I said earlier, is probably Drew Holiday, who only has two years guaranteed left on his contract. So if for some reason he became unhappy this season, uh, he could request out we've already seen that there's going to be a sizable trade market for him should he ever suggest to do that but why would he do that based on everything he said this summer based on everything the team is doing to engender players around him that fit around him play a system that fits around him why would he want to go play anywhere else and one last point I want to make that David Griffin appears to be doing behind the scenes that none of us really know for sure, but just the level of sponsorships and attention that some of the New Orleans athletes are getting this offseason that they didn't get in seasons past, whether it be interviews, whether it be sponsorships, we're just seeing more access come to these players than ever before. And I think he kind of hinted at that when he said, if you need to go to a bigger city, uh, obviously he was throwing uh, thinly veiled shots at Anthony Davis and LeBron James. If bigger cities are what you need, then then go and do that. But here we're building a family culture. And while, why, while he's doing that, he's also building each of these players' specific brands. And, and we've seen the way that these guys have been kind of um, – quieter with the local media obviously they're available uh with practices but just in terms of access he is doing such an incredible job at this point of just managing everything trajan langdon is probably right now uh in charge of bringing in guys like jj reddick nicola melly uh the draft picks he's doing a lot of that scouting what what uh david griffin is doing right now is managing the players while trajan langdon goes out and finds the best ones for david griffin so ollie in terms of how much access these players have gotten, even though the Pelicans are not supposed to contend for the Western Conference title, we're still seeing a lot of attention being given their way. Do you think that's the Zion effect, or do you think David Griffin plays a big hand in that? I think you can talk about a lot of different reasons, and you just nailed two of them. I think when you step back and look at the team constructed, and, and especially, again, you've got to put in the context of all the losing that has happened, all the failed seasons with what's regarded as one of the best talents in the league, right? Anthony Davis. So suddenly you have the number one draft pick and you bring in one of the best, you know, players that come out of college in the last 20 years, really surpassing in a lot of people's minds, Blake Griffin. You know, you have to go back to LeBron James. 
Then, of course, you add two recent uh, top three picks, Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball, who there's been a lot of great things predicted for them. Then you add in the fact that there's three incredibly uh, gifted yet highly regarded veterans. I mean, it's tough to find, even on just counting on two hands, guys that are respected more for their class, their etiquette, their professionalism than Drew Holiday, J.J. Redick, and Derek Favors. So when you combine all these elements, and then you also, I guess I shouldn't forget, mention, right, a couple other top picks in Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and we got a glimpse of what they could do in the summer league. So if you combine all of this, the excitement, it's completely understandable. But I think people are losing sight of that, right? We understand the excitement. It should be high. We saw what, right, NBA League Pass must-watches for this year. Regardless of where the fans are living, everybody has New Orleans in their top five, usually top three. That's understandable. But as you guys have already alluded to, it's that pressure. Some people are now somehow, for some reason, equating this to there being a certain level of expectation that none of us see, that yet others are somehow, like I said, coming up with it. Whether in their minds they truly think that this talent level should be, you know, be held accountable to a certain degree or a certain number of wins or the fact that they should just be the highly competitive bunch, even though Alvin's been preaching, there's 15 new guys out of the 20 that he's got in training camp. I don't know what the reason is, but I agree with you guys wholeheartedly. Uh, We've beaten this to a pulp, I think. Uh, The excitement, big A+. As for expectations, there should be none. All right, Grub, let's transition out of here. Uh, Zach Lowe just had his article, which we always encourage, read Zach Lowe. I think he's probably the guy I respect the most in this industry right now. Uh, Fletcher Mackle just posted this from his article. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. But the quote from Zach Lowe's piece, it will just take time to sort through all the possible lineup contortions and land on the right offense defense balance. There is a playoff team in here. Will they find it in time? Just talk about this kind of thing. Uh, Ali was just saying 15 out of 20 players. Alvin Gentry's got a lot of decisions to make. Uh, we don't know if Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Jackson Hayes, Kenrich Williams, those guys, Jaleel Okafor, uh, just how many minutes they're going to they're gonna get, whether they're going to be part of this rotation at all. Uh, in terms of finding this playoff team inside the Pelicans 15-man or 14-man right now, uh, guaranteed spots, how would you do it, Grub? Well, I, I, that's what the first 20 games of the season are going to be about. Um, you're going to, because I think that's the benefit of the schedule being difficult early, um, is that you will get guys tested and put into positions where they're going to have to, to demonstrate whether or not they can perform under pressure. And that will help Alvin Gentry shorten his rotation. I think that there will be games where, you know, that you see more ex, uh, experimentation, where you see 12 13 guys get into games. And I think that there'll be games where he's very tight with his rotation um, to give guys more of an extended look. And that'll happen over the first month or two of the season. um, Because with a young team, you want to be poised to make a run down the stretch. And what we've already talked about um, numerous times is that because the back end of the schedule is on paper much easier, if this team has hit its stride and has survived up to that point and is somewhere around, uh, 500, then they, they have the ability to make that push. And you see that the best thing about this team is that you have guys who can ultimately play more than one position at so many spots that you do have the flexibility to try things out. You don't have to force uh, square pegs into round holes because you can understand what guys' ability is within those different um, lineup structures. So I think it's it, it, there is a playoff team in there, and we've all talked about the possibility. I think most 
uh, models have the Pelicans as somewhere between 40% and slightly over 50% chance of making the postseason. I think that's a reasonable expectation. Our guesses have gone between the, the mid to high 30s to the low 40s in wins, low to mid 40s. So, And that variation is reasonable when you haven't seen these guys play yet. So I, I do believe there's a playoff team in this group. And if things go well, if the injuries aren't there and people mature along the lines that they're expected to, then yes, this absolutely is a team that contends to the playoffs. I do want to say the guy that we have forgotten about too, as far as just pressure, but not in a real sense, is Derek Favors, who is in the last year of his deal as well, $16.9 million deal. And him re-signing at some number could also be a considerable number considering he's only 29 years old and has uh, relatively few miles on his legs considering his age and number of years in the league. Gambling. It's not the most prevalent of topics at the family barbecue, but the truth is it can be quite fun. Picking a couple of friends to play some friendly wagers before a game can immediately raise the stakes and make your Sundays even more exhilarating. And that's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Football fans, you can even bet after kickoff. So if it looks like your bet is fading, just take the other side. If you like to bet a lot, try a parlay. You can multiply your winnings and brag to your friends as the money rolls in. But now is the best time to join because my bookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code CHAIR to activate the offer. That's promo code CHAIR. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, let's get to our questions, Ali. Uh, just to keep in a similar vein as what Grub was just discussing, uh, we've got one of the legends of our sport. Patrick Riley has a question for us. Uh, he's got, what's a real a realistic expectation for this team in the first 20 games? Do you think Gentry will look at these games as an extension to the preseason? Will we see different rotations each night? Ali, basically the question to you is, are the Pelicans playing to win now? Or like Grub said, are we going to see them experiment through possibly the first quarter of the season? They're definitely going to play to win now. And I think David Griffin made that abundantly clear on media day when he had that one famous liner that we all know about beating people's ass. I think Alvin Gentry is going to have the exact same approach. And look, we even can go back to last year when Alvin drew holiday, everybody said we were never in this towards down the stretch, right? When the Pelicans were losing season was lost. They were never tanking. It's, it's, it's not in this coaching's uh, his, his blood bloodlines, his veins, you name it. Alvin Gentry is going to start the season. He's going to try to win every single game. So I think that development may take just a little bit of a hit in terms of where you're not going to throw out all your rookies. You're not going to have Zion playing through mistake after mistake after mistake uh, and see 35, 36 minutes. No, I think Alvin's going to go with guys that can win the game for him, especially down the stretch. You know, it's hard to where they're going to draw the line, but again, I just foresee that, for instance, guys like Jackson Hayes, I mean, we've already heard he's going to have a red shirt type of season. Uh, that's the expectation. So that means to me he's not going to see really any court time outside of garbage time till at least maybe the last quarter of the season when, you know, the Pelicans are likely going to be out of the playoffs. But, hey, they could surprise and he may never even get on the court. But then again, there's that G League. Same thing with Nikhil Alexander-Walker. He's not going to be handed anything. So I just, you know, I just foresee that he's going to approach us just like last year, last few years with Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday, where the expectation was to make the playoffs. I think that's the whole goal. I mean, nobody has said anything different to me from the players to the coaches to anybody in the executive office. So they're going to be playing for, you know, when they open up against the Toronto Raptors on the 22nd, you better believe Alvin's going to be closing out that game 
with the guys that he thinks is going to give him the best chance to win. And uh, don't be surprised if it's going to be a lot of veterans out there. Rob, this is from Eric. I really like this question. He says, is J.J. Reddick going to start? And if so, does that mean that Drew will be a one in the starting lineup and will Zoe come off the bench? Now, obviously, we know that Lonzo Ball is going to start. It's more of a pride thing. J.J. Reddick, uh, being a 35-year-old veteran, doesn't have that sense of pride anymore. He just wants to contribute, help the team win, and he's still going to get plenty of minutes. But let me ask you this, Rob. Should J.J. Reddick be playing more minutes than Lonzo Ball, and I just mean like in crunch time lineups, is he a better fit on the floor next to Drew Holiday than Lonzo Ball is? Again, I think that's situational. What is the score? Who are you playing? Um, and how is Lonzo performing? You have to give Lonzo Ball minutes. If he's going to be the point guard of the future, then you have to play him in crunch time to, to evaluate him. The big thing is going to be if, if he's not making shots, um, at a, at a respectable enough clip, then maybe you can't have him on the floor if he's not making free throws. But the whole point to me is, A, you don't want to take his defensive abilities off the floor in close games. You still want to be able to shut people down because that's where the game is going to be won for them. And they should still have enough scores if you're playing in those situations to have people who can, can put the ball in the basket, even if Lonzo's not. This offense is very point guard friendly. And Ali and I talked about that on my show um, this morning. You know, I, I want to find out if Lonzo can play in the fourth quarter. But if JJ is, is the situation calls for JJ and he needs to be out there because you need some shots and you're trying to uh, come back from a deficit, then yeah. Or if JJ has to play the three and you're playing Ingram at the four, um, you know, just depending on matchups. But I want to see Lonzo on the court in the fourth quarter. You're trying to decide if you're going to keep this guy long term. And if he's the point guard for the next five to seven years, he cannot be on the bench during crunch time. All right, uh, Ollie, this is a good one uh, for you. It's from KL Brown, CEO of Sweatbox. He said, I'd like to know from Brandon Ingram and Zoe and the strength coach for the Pelicans NBA, NBA, what are some of the differences in their strength regimen, increased volume, load, powerlifting, bodybuilding, power training? Will we finally see differences in physique and function? And obviously, none of us are in a position to uh, correctly qualify what they've done to their bodies, uh, what improvements that they've made. That's more a Mike G question. But just in terms of what you've seen from them in practice, do they look different to you? They do look a little bit different. And for me, it's specifically Lonzo Ball. He looks a little bit thicker, a little bit stronger, a uh, little bit fitter, actually. As for Brandon Ingram, he looks the same. And look, he, okay, first of all, we got to mention that these guys are both 21 years old. So their bodies have not fully developed. But then you've also got to consider Brandon Ingram's frame. Look, Kevin Durant has it isn't decidedly any different than when he first entered the league, right? So you've got to take all that into account. And lastly, don't expect any differences between seeing them now and towards the end of the season because all of your weight training, all of your additional strength that you add to your frame almost always takes place during the offseason. So I'll be honest with you. I don't see them any stronger. And the fact we haven't seen them scrimmaging much is hard to tell if they, you know, look a little more athletic. So that means they've got a little bit more burst because they were working on all sorts of explosive type of stuff during the offseason. And you're right. That is a question that's much better suited to a guy like Mike G or whoever has been working with these players during the offseason. All right, Grub, this is for you. It's from our friend Ryan Bear. It says, which good team do you care the least to watch? He says Spurs and Jazz for him. Uh, why don't you go through this? I'm going to think about this. I can't think of a team outside of the Charlotte Hornets that I really don't want to watch this season. Uh, help me out, President. Um, are you hearing me? 
Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, okay. I, I, my screen was acting up. Um, I don't. I don't know why people would say they don't want to watch the Jazz. I think the Jazz are going to be a very interesting team to watch with their additions. They've gotten saddled with this boring tag, and I, I, I've never felt it's boring to watch them. I, I find them to be a, a very um, interesting team because of the way they play defense and the and the and adding who they've added in the offseason offensively. I, I like watching the Jazz, but of the the teams that people are calling very good this year, um, I don't really enjoy watching Portland play. Um, Damian Lillard is a, a great player, but I don't really – he's so ball-dominant, and they run basically the same sets the entire game that I don't really find them very entertaining. Um, I, I'm not – yeah, the Spurs this year, I'm not interested in watching DeMar DeRozan be extremely inefficient. Uh, again, and and I have no joy in watching Lamarcus Aldridge, and I think that they have a weird match with two young guards who are very athletic, and then you have these guys who are um, play more of an old school NBA game. I, I think that's it's just it's just a difficult dynamic for them to pull off. Uh, and another team that I'm not particularly interested in watching, I never want to watch the Rockets. I I, I think that they're they're going to be aesthetically so horrible to to watch on a night to night basis because of the amount of dribbling that they're going to do every game. So those are the teams I don't want to see. Yeah, I think the Rockets is a good one. I can't believe I didn't think about that. And it's less so their clunky fit as it is the the foul hunting. I think that's uh, enraging for a lot of NBA fans. Uh, the Spurs is a good one, but I, I do want to watch DeJounte Murray play. Uh, I loved watching him just obliterate the New Orleans Pelicans two seasons ago. It seemed like he just had such a high upside. I remember we were all so furious that he made a – First team defense over Drew Holiday. Did I make that up? I feel like that happened. Or maybe they were just in the running together because obviously Drew did finish first that year and DeJounte did finish second. So maybe that was just like the prognostication of a lot of experts that that really drove me up the wall. But in terms of other teams, I mean, the Detroit Pistons, I never enjoy watching. Uh, much respect to Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond, but it's just not an entertaining uh, brand of basketball to me. What about you, Ollie? Yeah, you guys hit pretty much the... I guess most of all my favorites of the worst, I should say. I'm going to throw Minnesota in there. I've never enjoyed watching them. They've never come and played together as a team, especially after Rubio left. Right? I felt like he was the only glue that kind of made some sense for a team that has a lot of weapons, but kind of inefficient weapons outside of, you know, Cat. Um, the Spurs is a good one, but I'll be honest with you. I think the Spurs are going to surprise some people. Besides Murray, I'm expecting a lot out of Lonnie Walker. And, you know, they've got – They've added Damari Carroll to the mix. And, you know, Rudy Gay can still show flashes. So I think they're kind of – people are underrating them a little bit more. But um, as far as not liking to watch, I don't think I'm going to watch OKC. You know, Chris Paul's going to be in a situation where he knows he's towards the end of his career. He knows that's not going to be a winner. Um, I know he's going to do his damnedest to still try and, you know, prove that as a good one of these good vets, he's got, he's got to show that some other team needs to risk those assets to trade for him and kind of save him from what's going to be a bottomless pit with the Thunder. So I'm definitely going to be out, all out on the OKC games. Of course, right. I want to see Monty with Phoenix, but, you know, the Phoenix Suns, until they actually show you that they're more than just Devin Booker hoisting 25, 30 shots, it's a no-go for me. All right, this is from Chris Connor, David. What's better, Brandon Ingram's do-rag or Drew's book cover headband? Oh, you got to go with Brandon Ingram's do-rag. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, Brandon, for as much as he's from a – you know, small town Kinston, North Carolina. He looks like he would be just fine posted up at a corner store in New Orleans 
you know, just, just chilling and, and hanging out. And unless you knew, like, if you didn't know that who he was, he'd just be the big dude hanging out by the, on the block. And he see it just, it fits him to a T like Brandon Ingram in a, you know, in a, a shirt and his do rag, it just feels right. You know, Drew, it's always, there's always change. And I don't think anything is going to be better than the headbands or the other, you know, the braids that we've seen over the last couple of years. But with Ingram, the do-rag just, it falls so into line how we perceive him as a character. But then when you talk to him as a person, it also, it also seems the same too. It's just, Brandon, I think is going to be far more, far more entertaining than we think as the season goes along and he gets familiar with us. So yeah, I think that I love the do-rag. All right, Ollie, this is from Nola Sports Fan. Might be off topic, and this might be more of a Kevin Berrios question, but when are the City Edition jerseys coming out? Or is that something that only happens if you're in the playoffs? Mm, that's what I had heard, and you're right. I don't know the answer to that. David, so do you have earned, know? The earned jerseys. Remember, earned there's jerseys. a difference between City and earned. Right. <laughs> so this, the earned jerseys were the, the ones that you had to make the playoffs for. Playoffs, right. The city jerseys, everybody had a city jersey. So um, I think the, the, you know, the Mardi Gras one is, is probably still going to be the city jersey. Um, but I would imagine as the third uniform, I mean, well, I guess it's the fourth then out of that group. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're not taking away that jersey. It, it, you know, people love it so much. I, I don't see it going anywhere. I don't see it being adapted. But I'd like to see some new looks. I'd like to see some different uh, designs for the Pelicans. I think they've been very conservative in their uniforms, and Nike to me has has not impressed enough with their new uniforms. Some of them are very good, and some of them are just very unimaginative. I'd like to see somebody try something new um, with the New Orleans Pelicans uniforms, something that we haven't thought about before, something less attached to Mardi Gras. Um, but yeah, th- they probably will be announced, um, you know, once the season begins, because they always roll them out in phases. They want you to see what people have, the new ones first. We've seen Phoenix's new uniforms. So I think we'll see those types first, and then we get into the other ones as the season goes along. All right, Ollie, this might be another Kevin Berrios question, but this <laughs> is from me. <laughs> I Sexy. Um, he or she asks, who has the worst shoe game on the Pelicans? God, I'm not the guy to ask these questions. I Everybody know. knows. <laughs> I would say, I mean, I'm not too impressed by each one Moore's, even though I know, what is it, Li Ning out of China. Um, I've never particularly liked that brand at all. But other than that, it's hard to say I dislike anybody's because usually the Pelicans were always there, even guys like Solomon Hill, uh, guys you didn't expect to or didn't play much, right? They were always sporting the best gear. So, I mean, David, again, please jump in. Who do you, who do you not like? Yeah, it, I think it probably is Etwan because so many of the guys wear the same shoe. Like we saw a lot of uh, people wearing the Kobe's, um, you know, on media day in that bright green color. And then, of course, we know Zion will be wearing Jordans. And, and I think a lot of, um, you know, you see, I mean, the, the ones you see, the younger guys, of course, they're going to their shoe game is going to be there'll be a lot of different sneakers. One of the, my favorite things going in the locker room after games is seeing what, what people have in their lockers as far as their sneakers. Each one is a boring guy. I mean, it's, as far as his, <laughs> he's, I mean, he is. He's a nice guy. He's, he's laid back. He's quiet. I wouldn't say boring. Okay, I mean, I know I'm what you just, mean. As a, Aesthetically, as a, as, yeah. Yeah, from yeah. A, from an interviewer point of view, right. from a media side, you would he would be that way. I, I don't, I've not spent time with Etwan off the court. 
though I doubt he would ever want to spend time with me off the court. But <laughs> I think that probably, yeah, among the shoes that you see, his his are the least interesting. His are the least interesting. All right. Who's got the best shoes, Grub? Ooh. Man, yeah, before it was Solo. Solo always had the mm-hmm. dope shoes. He always had. Um, I think right now you have, I, I'd have to give it to Zion just because he's the the first one to come out with his own with the Pelicans colorway in the Jordans, and he's going to be the one who has the most distinct shoe. I think again last year about seven of the guys all wore the same sneaker on the court each game. They all wore Kobe's throughout the season. So I think again you'll see mostly on the court guys wearing the same shoe. Zion will probably be the most distinct over the course of the season as far as multiple colorways. Um, they're, you know, probably adjustment to the Jordan, maybe a lower top or something like that. So I, I think he'll have the most unique shoes over the course of the season. So I'll put him in front right now. All right. Speaking thanks. of shoes real quick, I just want to say that Jaleel Okafor, it's going to be interesting to see if he's wearing any higher tops. Because remember, David, Alvin kept on remarking how his shoes are just too cut too low. And that was kind of the reason why he kept on spraining his ankle over and over. <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah. I think, but Ja, again, he looks in great shape this year. I think he looks yes. in even better shape than he did when he came in last year. And I think he's got a renewed commitment on the defensive end. I really like – I'm really up on Ja right now. I, again, I don't think he logs heavy minutes, but I think they'll be productive when he's in. But, yeah, I, he's got a, those ankle – he had those ankle injuries all last season. And, of course, we're looking at – we're going to be watching um, what shoes Lonzo wears because since he exactly. won't have to change shoes every quarter like he did – <laughs> while he was playing with the Lakers, um, that should be something that we monitor and just see what are the types of shoes. Is he wearing a higher top? Is he bracing the ankle? What are those things? That's what I want to see out of Lonzo. I don't really care what brand he's wearing, but I'll be looking at the style and the cut and just seeing is he make is he picking shoes based on his ankle or or what what else? Yeah, just in terms of playing time, just to wrap things up, I think the Pelicans are in a better position perhaps than they've ever been in terms of facilitating injuries, rest on back-to-back nights. Uh, in, in in times that they want to give veterans like J.J. Redick and Derek Favors a break, they do have the opportunity to put in guys like Jaleel Okafor, Etwan Moore, Josh Hart, uh, Nikhail Alexander-Walker, Jackson Hayes in those circumstances. So I, I think there's gonna everybody's going to get a fair shot this season. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap up. This has been an impromptu podcast, really Big thanks to David and Ali Cosell for joining uh, me uh, so late. I think it was 30 minutes before. I was like, I want to talk. You guys want to join me? So let's go over to Ali Cosell. Obviously, we've got a lot more content coming to thebirdrights.com than probably in previous months. Things are wrap- ramping back up. There's a lot more to talk about as we head into our first preseason game, our open practice on Saturday, which rumor has it might potentially sell out, which is quite incredible for the New Orleans fan base. Ali, what else do we have coming from thebirdrights.com? Yeah, we're going to wrap up our preview series that recently really just got started, right? We've gotten four done. We've still got a lot more to go, so at least 11 more. Uh, I am going to write something up later today on what I've seen this week out of those training camps uh, practices, which is very little. But again, I've, I've noticed some other things that you can kind of glean from just interactions. And of course, cover open practice tomorrow. And then next week, right? Kick off, what, four games in eight days. So we'll have plenty to talk about. All right, Grub, obviously you've got your show, 1288 uh, 8 a.m. Oh, man, hard in the paint. Uh, of course, you're writing for Crescent City Sports as well as thebirdrights.com. What you working on, man? Yeah, I got, you know, LSU football Saturday morning, uh, high school football Friday night. I got 
open practice on Saturday and I'm working on the profiles of uh, Alonzo and Jaleel Okafor for, for bird rights. And then um, like yesterday, I, like, I got inspired to start writing about uh, how specifically the one, the big thing I'm interested in is Zion and how he's used defensively and um, looking at how Jeff Bizdelic used PJ Tucker, because I think that that's going to be similar to how he uses Zion. Um, and I want to see how that potentially could work having Zion play that multi-positional defensive role, but adding that athleticism and reach and power that he has com- compared to a guy like PJ Tucker. Um, yeah, so I think that that'll be something that, that, that'll be really interesting to delve into, but that's what I'm working on right now. Great stuff, guys. You guys can follow them at DM Grubbin at Ali Cosell. If you want to give to the podcast, you can patreon.com slash Preston Ellis or much easier. You can share this podcast. You can give us a five-star rating on iTunes, retweet, tell your friends. If you know any Pelicans fans, please just spread the word. Tell them about the bird calls. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, that's all we ask for. So you guys continue to, to hang with us. I've got new articles on the birdrights.com on each one more Derek favors. Uh, you can follow me of course at Preston Ellis and Hey guys, just thanks for tuning in with us. If there's anything you want us to talk about, don't be afraid to hit me up or at the birdrights.com and on our, the bird rights on Twitter. And on our next podcast, we'll definitely bring it up. We love uh, talking about the type of things that interest you guys. So don't be, uh, don't feel afraid to reach out and tell us what you want to hear about the New Orleans Pelicans. But for now, hey, let's dance and let's go Pels. for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today